Water is a source of life. No creature can survive without it. All countries need it. That is why more and more voices describe it as the gold of the 21st century. They even fear that we may be heading towards the great water world. And this is not the plot of any dystopian series. According to United Nations figures, water consumption has doubled in the last 50 years, but 40% of the world's population lacks access to a basic supply. In the previous chapter of this podcast, we learned about the health problems that the oil industry generates among the Amazonian population of Ecuador, related to water contamination. Unfortunately, this is a problem that is repeated in many parts of the world. These two areas have not completely rehabilitated, and there are still many uh, residents saying that they have acquired sicknesses because of um, the polluted waters in their area. So uh, there is also very low compensation for violations. Uh, there is less than about one US dollar per ton of waste disposed in an authorized area. The voice you've heard is that of Lia Torres, an environmental activist in the Philippines, where vast areas of jungle are being raised by the extractive industry, in this case related to mining. As was the case in Ecuador, the water used by local communities has been contaminated and is the cause of disease. Did you keep the information that Leah gave us? The compensation paid by large companies for dumping a ton of waste in that area illegally is less than a dollar. One ton, one dollar. How is it that no one protests against this? Probably because the Philippines is one of the most dangerous countries in the world to be an environmental activist. Do you want to meet one of them? Let's go there. I'm Inge Diez, and this is Medicus Mundi Gipuzkoa Ecological Activists. Episode 2, Philippines. Okay, so is it okay if I start? Yes. Okay. Lia Mai Torres is a leading voice in environmental and local community activism in the Philippines. And it is that Lia, in addition to being the executive director of the Center for Environmental Concerns of the Philippines, is also part of the Asian Pacific Network of Environmental Defenders, as well as the Kalikasan People's Network for the Environment. So my activism actually started when I was the, um, in the university. Uh, I was uh, part of many integration activities with the farmers. And um, since I was from the city, this is something that was new to me. So I saw there how they were very much affected by um, projects of large corporations that evicted them from the land or polluted their land. and. Uh, Later, she graduated in community development and continued her work in non-governmental organizations, especially CEC. And that is where she really began to focus on environmental issues. 
So that's uh, where I really started focusing on environmental issues. And um, I was uh, very much uh, um, looking for environmental organizations since I also have a personal advocacy on indigenous people. And from then on, I, I saw more communities affected by various environmental issues aside from mining. As I mentioned, there's still agribusiness. And, and there are issues of large dams, land reclamations. Yes, as Leah says, environmentally, there are many open fronts in this part of the world. It's not by chance. The Philippines, made up of around 7,000 islands, is a natural paradise, containing an enormous variety of natural resources and home to great biodiversity. But precisely for this reason, large extractive industries have been arriving, mainly extracting wood and minerals. So mining in the Philippines is governed by the Mining Act of 1995. Um, it is a very unique law in the Philippines. It's, uh, it allows for 100% foreign ownership which means that foreign companies can come here and um, the full benefits can will go to them. And they are allowed up to 25 years of uh, mining operations. They have uh, always claimed that they brought development uh, to the Philippines with the taxes that they pay and the infrastructures that they build. But actually, the taxes that they give is very low. It's only 12% of the mineral resources. Um, they extracted from the Philippines, so it's very little. And um, they export most of the earnings from the mining in the Philippines. So that is about um, 21.4 uh, billion US dollars uh, last July 2016 to July 2021. So you can imagine how big they earn and how small the people get back. But then again, there is no real development when it comes to the local communities. But furthermore, there is no real development as far as local communities are concerned. There are infrastructures built like roads, but the roads end uh, up to the point of the mining operations. There are hospitals built, but they are not operational. There are schools, um, but not all are operational or the operations stop once the mining operations leave. And um, after that, the communities are left with uh, environmental destruction. This is what has happened, for example, in the case of a Canadian-Australian mining company in the province of Nueva Vizcaya in the Philippines. After 25 years of mining agreement of Oceana Gold, um, they were uh, experiencing a lack of supply of water for their domestic use and for agriculture. So the indigenous people there, um, who are uh, traditionally farmers, have now a difficult time. And, as was the case in Ecuador, the people who suffer the most from this situation are the disadvantaged among the disadvantaged. Women. Um, women are actually experiencing multiple burdens, of course, from the domestic and reproductive work that they are doing and adding to that the community work that they are also active in. So, for example, um, for the domestic work, it's getting harder for them to, for example, find water or find food um, and take care of the children, especially 
when there are climate-induced disasters such as uh, typhoons and other um, natural occurrences. In addition, it is becoming more and more difficult for these women to earn a living for the family, especially since the environment is being destroyed and they no longer have sources of livelihood. So, for example, if they are farmers, but then again they get displaced uh, because of uh, mining operations or large dams, then they have no source of food and no source of income. And, for example, for uh, women um, who are um, also fisher folks, Uh, with the warming oceans, there is declining fish catch, therefore leading to declining income for them as well. But of course, there is also another added obstacle for being women. Um, in many communities we have seen, women are just seen as um, like placeholders for their husbands. So their husbands are the members, but for example, if their husbands are fisher folk and um, They cannot attend meetings and the like when they are asked to attend in place of their husbands, but not really considered as members of the organization. And sometimes they are also considered, um, they are not uh, elected in the leading positions, even if they are the ones that are most active. So there is still a great challenge um, with the gender stereotypes and the level of participation of women. We have just mentioned the problems of communities that traditionally live from fishing. Due to climate change and rising sea levels, the Philippines is considered one of the most vulnerable countries on the planet. But the sea is not the only danger. I uh, also have many uh, friends from the university that are also involved in non-government organizations. But sadly, they um, they have also been attacked by the government. For example, um, one of my um, friends from uh, my courses, uh, Steve Abwa, he graduated and then went to organizing in local farming communities. And then he was abducted um, last 2021 while I was in COP26 um, because he was suspected to be a communist. And until now, He wasn't, he isn't found yet. Unfortunately, what Leah tells about her friend's kidnapping is not an isolated case. Um, in the past administration, 186 defenders have been killed. So that's from 2016 to 2020. And according to the Global Witness Report uh, released this year, there were 19 environmental defenders killed in 2021 alone. So, um, This still shows that the Philippines is the deadliest place for environmental defenders in Asia for one decade already. And we are always at the top um, five uh, in the world. So it, uh, we are behind the biggest um, with, uh, with Brazil, Colombia, or Mexico. In addition to the murders, there are also other human rights violations. There was an accounted 19,498 human rights violations. Um, this includes harassment, threats, intimidation, uh, arbitrary arrest, uh, torture and forced disappearances, and red tagging. Red tagging. Have you heard this term before? 
Do you know what it means? So we think that red tagging is the most dangerous threat that environmental defenders are facing. Uh, this is the uh, naming of individuals and organizations as terrorists, communists, uh, rebels. Uh, this is done by the government, uh, mostly as a form of reprisal. Uh, to the people who speak out against projects of corporations and the government. The NGO that Leah works for, the CEC, has been hit hard by these forms of government violations. In 2018, they received threats for providing refuge to indigenous people from the southern Philippines who were experiencing militarization. They also suffered red tagging for collecting donations for a typhoon and for COVID victims or for receiving people from an area where there is a project to build a large dam. This is just an example, but it's happening all over the country. And after there are red tagging incidences, it is often followed by worse attacks, um, some even leading to killings. And of course, we believe that um, it's the government's responsibility uh, since they have come up with um, various ways to silent uh, dissenters. For example, um, we believe that uh, the root of everything is their counterinsurgency program. So there's an ongoing civil war in the Philippines between uh, the communist groups and the government, mostly because the decades-old problems in the Philippines haven't been addressed, like land reform and the lack of social welfare of the people. And then... Um, Every time that there is an opposition to a government a project of a corporation, they relate that to the uh, ongoing armed conflict. So that's why there is red tagging. Uh, so they call it counterinsurgency, even if they cannot prove that um, these groups are not part of these communist um, groups as well. Also, during the pandemic, the anti-terrorism law was approved. A dangerous law because it gives a very broad and vague definition of terrorism and therefore can include activities carried out by environmental activist groups. And there are also previous executive orders that have allowed um, military and paramilitary to um, quote-unquote um, protect the investments. But that often means um attacking environmental defenders, especially those living in the affected communities. So we believe that these are uh, mostly caused um, by state agents um, in collusion with private uh, corporations that have interests in our natural resources. Any of us will be terrified by this scenario. Leah, on the other hand, sees it from another point of view. These are other uh, experiences that have um, inspired me to continue because instead of being afraid that this would happen to me, I think I owe it to them to continue with my advocacy since um, they are already facing different attacks. And um, I think we should not be stopped because that's what the government is trying to do. They're trying to um, uh, instill fear among us. Leah has taken part in the COP27 conference in Egypt, from which she has returned dissatisfied because she believes that there was no real discussion about how governments, especially those of developed countries, 
should intensify their efforts for climate mitigation and take responsibility for how they have affected developing countries. Her efforts, in any case, are focused on trying to change the productive framework in her country. Both Kalikas and NCEC believe that uh, we need to reorient mine, the current mining industry to um, one that uh, forwards national industrialization. So that means um, we are still focusing on agricultural development and uh, agricultural uh, modernization and land reform while we are using, we are pushing to use our natural resources like our minerals for national industrialization. Um, for example, developing the steel industry, harnessing our resources to um, build um, the basic industries that the country needs. So that would bring um, national development. So uh, we are not anti-mining per se, but we are anti the mining that's happening under the Mining Act. That's why we have forwarded the um, People's Mining Bill. It is the alternative to our current mining law that um, actually reframes mining under national under national industrialization. So that's one um, kind of mining that is also sustainable. Sustainable mining. Is that possible? Um, traditionally, the indigenous people here do mining. So they have their own sustainable ways of doing that traditionally. But then again, when we were colonized, it eventually evolved into this kind of profit-oriented and mass production framed uh, mining. So we want to have that kind of sustainable idea um, and merge it with uh, advanced technology. Despite the challenges that we are facing, and we know that there are going to be uh, big fights this coming years with the current administration, um, I hope that um, our initiatives working with local communities um, and linking them with that national organizations through um, uh, awareness raising campaigns, education work, and unity building uh, would somehow help and bear fruit one day. So um, I believe that, you know, my organization cannot do it alone. We, we are just supporting local communities. And um, I think it, we believe that it is through united action by more organizations in the Philippines and hopefully uh, supported as well by many other international organizations and institutions that um, we can change the current system and have, uh, have it replaced with one that um, upholds the recently declared um, uh, universal right to access to healthy, um, clean, and sustainable environment. Sustainable mining by indigenous peoples, along with advanced technology. United action of local organizations supported by international organizations. Lia Torres has left us many clues about possible paths to follow in the future. Paths in which we try to walk with our feet on the ground and our eyes fixed on the horizon. Paths that, in the next chapter of this podcast, will take us to Peru to meet other women, other problems and other ways to try to solve them.
Medicus Mundi Ecological Activists is a podcast produced by Ulu Media for Medicus Mundi Gipuzkoa. It has been recorded at Ulu Studios in Lasarte. Production, Cristina Tapia Wizi and Xavier Echeverria. Direction and script, Aisea Bernas and Xavier Echeverria. Voiceover and interviews, myself, Inge Diev. Sound design and editing, John Garcia and Noyer Aranzabal. You can listen and subscribe to Medicus Mundi Ecological Activists wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you liked it, share it with your family and friends. Urrengorarte. Hey, Ulu Media.